turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Jude, uh, just before the book of Revelation. Sunday morning, studying the book of Jude. As we're turning there, just a reminder, Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and currently studying the gospel according to Luke. Six o'clock Sunday evenings, each of you are invited. Two verses, we've been uh, reading these for uh, two or three weeks now, and uh, we'll make the focus uh, this week, verse 3, as we made verse 4 our focus last week. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are always thankful for your word. We're thankful not just to read it, but the power of your Holy Spirit and the witness of your Holy Spirit to our hearts always with it. We thank you that it never returns void. It always accomplishes what it has been sent out to do. And that is our desire this morning as we study it, that your intention, your thoughts, your desires for these uh, two verses, to, uh, for that what you desire to be accomplished within our lives as your people, that that would be accomplished today. And so we trust in you, your grace for that. We trust in the power of your Holy Spirit for that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We remember that the book of Jude, as he writes it, he had uh, hoped to write a very joyous letter to uh, the audience that he was sending it to as a celebration of uh, our Savior, celebration of the salvation that is ours as uh, Christians and all that we share because of Jesus Christ. But uh, at the Holy Spirit's direction and certainly under His inspiration, uh, Jude wrote this letter because of a dangerous threat to Christians and Christianity that had risen in the form of uh, false teachers and those that were uh, attempting to influence Christians and uh, Christianity. They were infiltrating churches with, with their false doctrines and their false teaching. Their particular false doctrine and teaching consisted of two uh, main points that Jude makes clear there in verse 4. Number one, that they turned the grace of God into lewdness. They were advancing the idea that you could live any way that you want as a Christian, engage in any and all sin uh, that you would want to engage in, and God's grace will cover it. And if you do so, you don't need to fear God's judgment or fear God's chastening or His uh, rebuke in any kind of way. And so they minimized the Bible's teaching on righteousness, on sanctification, on uh, holiness, and uh, obedience and judgment, and they denied the moral demands of God and of Christianity. The second thing that they did is they deny the holy, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so they denied the necessity of the Lordship uh, of God the Father, the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the Christian life, and they taught that it was very important to know Him as Savior but not important uh, to know Him as 
uh, Lord. And so uh, you didn't have to take His call to make Him the Lord of our lives seriously and uh, make Him the Lord and Master of our lives as well. And Jude gave us in verse 4 some insights into their methods and also into their end. And uh, you notice concerning their method of infiltrating uh, the body of Christ or infiltrating a church uh, uh, is that they creep in unnoticed. And so they're never upfront about what they're really about. They never reveal uh, immediately what's in their heart, what they're endeavoring to do. So they use secrecy, they use stealth, they use uh, deception in order to advance these false doctrines that they adhere to and uh, these doctrines of false doctrines of lewdness and the denial of, of the necessity of Jesus' lordship in our lives. And so when they come into a church, they uh, are never honest about what they are. They're never honest about what it is that, that they're trying uh, to do. And the reason that they go unnoticed, as Jude talks about here, is because they give the outward appearance of uh, being a Christian. And so they deliberately hide their true intentions. They deliberately hide uh, their true identities and thus they're not always easy to uh, spot or to identify. And so when such a person would candidate to become uh, the next pastor of a church, they're n- never honest or open about what they believe or what they intend to then uh, do to the church or to Christians once they uh, could have that kind of a position handed uh, over to them. Uh, but upon being put into that position, they'll use it now to influence uh, people toward their destructive heresies, as the Apostle Peter puts it. But a person doesn't have to be a pastor or a leader uh, in a church in order to try and influence it toward uh, the acceptance of uh, uh, lewdness and the denial of Jesus' lordship. Uh, in the Christian life. Uh, They can be a Christian author. Uh, They can be a Christian uh, musician. They can be a Christian uh, theologian. Uh, Or uh, they can be uh, something more uh, commonplace as an individual in our lives. They can be a friend who carefully and quietly lets it be known to us that they no longer uh, believe in uh, or they have never believed that uh, premarital sex, as the Bible teaches, is wrong, or that a Christian living with someone out of wedlock is wrong, or that practicing homosexuality is wrong, or that homosexual marriage is wrong, uh, or that sex is binary, that there are only two sexes, male and female, and only two genders man and woman. Uh, They will quietly let it be known that they do not believe that abortion is wrong or that viewing pornography is wrong or that farting or getting loaded or getting drunk is wrong. And I'm not uh, talking about a a Christian who is sincerely endeavoring to uh, biblically work their way through what are all these uh, current cultural hotspots where the culture is pushing against truth and against biblical uh, truth, and a Christian is trying to uh, figure out in their own hearts and 
uh, and from the Word of God how they should view these things. But I'm talking about the person who has firmly settled into these views deliberately now and considers themselves a Christian and in spite of what the Word of God teaches. They're convinced that they are right, that God is wrong uh, on these issues. And among uh, these, uh, Jude condemns are uh, the individual who carefully and quietly lets it be known uh, with the intent of converting people to their view uh, that they don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Uh, or the necessity of repentance in the Christian life, and so forth. And so they, they plant their doubts carefully. They indoctrinate very, very slowly. And, of course, that's what sheep and uh, wolves in sheep clothing uh, do. They hide their true identity while they set you up for the kill, not a physical kill, but a spiritual kill, which is far more serious. And you notice that Jude didn't warn here that someday... Uh, you might fun, find them uh, perhaps maybe in a manner of speaking uh, in a church somewhere near you. <laughs> uh, he's declaring that they're already present. Uh, they're already in. They're already uh, influencing. And so they are and probably in virtually every single church that exists uh, in uh, the world. And so they constitute what, uh, the devil's what is known as uh, the fifth column in a church. And perhaps you've heard that phrase, uh, they're a fifth column. And it refers to a group operating within a country at war who are sympathetic to the enemy of that uh, country or the enemy uh, of that kingdom and working for uh, that enemy. And of course, the imagery, of course, is the alliance with the devil and attacking uh, the church in this way. The Apostle Paul wrote of uh, such people uh, that they are crafty, they are deceptive, uh, not because they're being like God or they're being like the Lord or the Holy Spirit, but because they're being like their master, the devil. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. And so the Apostle Paul, he wrote this kind of thing is going on. He added his witness to the witness of Jude. And Paul declared that this kind of thing is only going to become more and more prevalent as the day of the Lord's return uh, approaches in what are known as the latter days. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul wrote in this regard, Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And so they come across very often as very nice people, very humble people, even very spiritual people, very gentle people, very sincere uh, people. 
but they know that what they're doing is contrary to the Word of God, and they're convinced that the lies that they advocate contrary to the Word of God are somehow an improvement upon the Christianity uh, of the Bible. And they're convinced that they're, all, they're doing all of this uh, uh, for uh, God's uh, uh, own sake. And that if Christianity only became what they think it needs to be, then people wouldn't be so upset with these kind of strict lines that we take on uh, morality as Christians. The strict, uh, they wouldn't be put off by the strict demands, the strict moral demands of Christianity, and then more people would be willing to become Christians. But of course, they wouldn't become Christians uh, at all. And this is the kind of person who has, uh, misunderstands the two great fundamental rules uh, of the universe. Number one, that there is a God. And number two, you're not Him. And they haven't quite uh, figured that out in their uh, endeavor to improve upon Christianity. And in thinking that I can improve upon the Christianity that Jesus has provided to us is not humility. No matter how humble a person uh, may endeavor to come uh, across outwardly, it is absolutely the height of pride. Uh, it is a sense of self-importance uh, that, that knows no bounds. It, it is to be lost in a delusion of grandeur. Think about a mere mortal. Uh, we have trouble matching our socks in the morning uh, if the light isn't perfect. We can't even keep ourselves from getting the common uh, cold. And yet we're going to rise up and we're going to think that we can change this book that has been changing people's lives for God, for good, dramatically, supernaturally, for thousands of years. And somehow human history has been waiting for me to arrive on the scene and improve uh, upon <clears throat> this book and imagine the sense of entitlement uh, and the pride that is behind uh, the feeling that I am free now to hijack Christianity from what God defines it to be and then redefine it for myself and for others. And so beyond the words, beyond the outward exterior, at the core is a shocking, uh, jaw-dropping pride that exists in anyone that is doing what these people were doing. You notice concerning uh, their end, their end is condemnation, Jude says, they were, mark, uh, they were long ago marked out for this condemnation. That is, none of this takes God by surprise at all. And, and, God, and Jude is saying that they're not going to prevail at all and that their judgment, the judgment that these kind of people will receive from God is well described in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And, and the warnings are strong. I'll just give you one as an example from the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. That ought to put the fear of God in anyone that is in their shoes. Peter wrote, and there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not uh, slumber. And so the judgment, the condemnation uh, is coming, God says. But the great question then for us is, what do we do between now and the day of their condemnation? How in the world are we as Christians to uh, counteract or stand against this uh, infiltration? And that's what Jude tells us in verse 3. And so the response that's required in order to resist this attack upon uh, Christianity, Jude calls upon us there uh, in in, uh, uh, verse 3 that we are to contend earnestly for the faith. And so, a couple things that are important to identify here. And, and number one is to, to identify what we are to earnestly contend for. He doesn't tell us to just earnestly contend for anything that comes into our noggin or any kind of whatever. He tells us to earnestly contend for something. And the something that we're to earnestly contend for is the faith. And then second, we'll examine his exhortation to contend earnestly for that faith. What is this, the faith, that Jude is referring to? And you'll notice that he's not referring to faith in general. You notice Jude does not write, contend earnestly for faith. That's not what he says. He doesn't say contend earnestly for faith. And so this, it's not referring to trusting in God. He says, don't contend earnestly for that. That's not what's being attacked here. But rather contend earnestly for the faith. And the faith refers to the doctrinal foundation of Christianity, the life and the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of the Holy Spirit through the apostles in the early church. It speaks of the body of truth that is found in the Bible that is uh, in your hands. And it refers to what we believe as uh, Christians. And so what is under attack here from these kind of people, what's at stake here is the faith. That's, that's what hangs in the balance. Uh, Jude looks beyond all of the kind of, it looks like a small thing to let them get their foot in the door or to get their toe in the water. Or it seems like a small thing to compromise on this issue or that issue. But Jude tells us you can't because what is at stake here in contending is the faith. That's what's at stake. That's how high uh, the stakes are. And when Jude describes the faith as once for all delivered to the saints, he's communicating that Christianity, as it's defined in the Bible, is final. It's once and for all delivered to the saints. 
It doesn't need any improving. Uh, nothing about it needs to be changed. Nothing about it uh, can, uh, can be uh, advanced in any kind of helpful way. Is never open to negotiation or to try and get it as these people were doing to accommodate whatever wickedness or ungodliness is prevailing or is in vogue at any particular moment in, in human history. And thus he calls on us to contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly is two words in our English Bible. And uh, the reason it's two words in the English Bible is it takes two of our English words to communicate uh, what uh, is really a single Greek word that, that Jude uses. And the single Greek word that he uses here is the basis for our English word, agonize. In other words, we are to contend in this battle for the faith against this kind of person, against this kind of influence, whether they have a place of prominence or whether they are an individual that is a, a part of my life, we are to contend for, uh, in this battle for the faith against this kind of person with every ounce of our strength. And again, why? Because we will either contend for the Christianity as God the Father and as Jesus and as the Holy Spirit intended, or it will be lost. The Christianity that the Bible describes will be lost. And here this battle, Jude recognizes that there's no common ground here. Someone is going to win this battle and someone is going to lose this battle. And he's calling upon us as Christians and saying that you cannot lose this uh, battle to these kind of false teachers. We must be the ones who are victorious in the battle. And so either the church will successfully uh, resist this ilk of, of false teachers and teaching, or they will not stop until they have destroyed the entire foundation of the Christian faith. It's kind of like the cancer, uh, the, the, it is a cancer culture. It's the cancel culture uh, that is all around us. And, and you look at the, how the culture is dealing with it today. And, uh, and uh, once the, the culture has capitulated to them on uh, one issue in an attempt to appease them and make them go away, uh, but what do you notice about them? They're never satisfied. It only emboldens them. And they then move on to the next thing that they want changed until there's nothing left but the world that they want, a world that looks exactly like them, and everyone else can be damned on it, and even God can be in terms of this kind of teacher uh, professing to be a Christian. And I don't use the word as a swear word. I use it as uh, intentionally as a, a part of a vocabulary. And so the strong terminology, and as Jude uses it here, it isn't for effect. He's telling us, take this seriously because this is actually what is required to stand against this kind of influence. 
Jesus, of course, he condemned both theological uh, legalism and theological liberalism in the course of his public ministry. And uh, the theological legalist is the person who takes a very simple command that God gives and then they add their own man-made ideas and demands and traditions to it in order to make it stricter or more demanding than God intends it to be. And that was the great sin of the Pharisee. Uh, The theological liberal is one who takes away from the Word of God. They minimize, they explain away, they deny the clear teaching and the clear demands of the Word of God. And so to them, the Bible is just a book of suggestions rather than a book of commandments given to us. And anything that displeases them, they simply disregard it or they endeavor to explain it away. This was the sin of of the Sadducees. And usually, I would say in evangelical circles, usually it is the uh, legalist that takes the greatest pounding uh, in the uh, average uh, uh, sermon. But the theological liberal is every bit as dangerous and I would contend uh, is even more dangerous and does greater uh, damage. And this is the kind of person, the theological liberal, that Jude is addressing here. And where here in terms of this kind of influence, you have entire denominations uh, of what professes to be Christian, uh, colleges, Christian colleges and universities are taken over by this kind of person with this kind of doctrine continually. And they teach that sin hardly matters to God at all, and uh, if it, if at all, and endorsing heterosexual immorality, uh, homosexual immorality, abortion, denying the necessity of being born again, uh, making Jesus the Lord of our lives. And the wonder is that anyone gives these people, theological, liberal theologians, the time of day uh, at all, that they, that they gain an audience at all in the year uh, 2021 uh, is a marvel, uh, but they do. And this kind of error and heresy in professing Christianity has been tried over and over and over and over again for centuries. And it has been tried uh, innumerable times in the last uh, hundred uh, years. Uh, And yet it seems as if, and it fails, it fails uh, uh, every single time. There's no life of the Spirit in it. Uh, People uh, flee from it in droves once it becomes apparent for its powerlessness to uh, make a change in people's lives. And yet, despite the fact that their track record is abysmal and well-known, it seems as if every generation is determined to fall for the same lie again and determine that You know, it didn't work before because our generation didn't try it. We're going to put a spin on it. Uh, The world is ready for this, uh, uh, this now. 
and, uh, and so uh, they, they move forward and, uh, and discover then, as they would try it again, it to be judged by God, no witness of God to it, and, but they're, they're determined to learn that for themselves. I want you to notice as, as well that the word saints is plural uh, in the passage. And in other words, this, what he's calling us to do here to contend earnestly for the faith is not merely the responsibility uh, of pastors or uh, leaders within a church, but it is the responsibility uh, of every uh, single uh, individual Christian. Well, all of this then, in my mind, it raises the question, what does this contending for the faith uh, actually look like practically in terms of uh, the rubber meeting uh, the road? So somebody says, contend earnestly for the faith. I walk out the door after the sermon. I say, I know I ought to do it, but I don't have the foggiest idea uh, what it looks like in the nitty-gritty of, of my life. And, I hear, and here I think we have to begin by understanding that the exhortation to contend is not a call to engage in shouting matches uh, with people in general or to uh, engage in shouting matches even with uh, these kind of, uh, of people. Jesus never did it, and He never did it while, uh, even while under immense provocation in the course of his public ministry. There are, uh, uh, here's, here are a couple passages that are important to remember in case you have made uh, Jude verse 3 your life verse. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 24, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patience, uh, in humility correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and talked about the importance of speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love. Elsewhere we're told in the New Testament that, that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I, I would bear witness that, that it certainly uh, doesn't. And as we mentioned last time, uh, here it's important to differentiate between the false teachers who are uh, advancing this kind of thing and uh, false teaching, and then those who, uh, by virtue of not having been well taught in their Christian life, have been fooled uh, by them. And so, uh, important to realize that, uh, that there is a difference here in, in terms of, of those two particular groups of, of people. We are to contend with the air uh, of each of them, but a, a strong rebuke and warning toward the false teachers and a biblical correction and uh, with compassion uh, toward those that are deceived. And we'll see that when we get to verse 22. Of course, the leadership in a church uh, plays a very, very important role in contending for the faith 
in, in uh, uh, the church and in uh, Christian culture. And, and to contend for the faith, as, as Jude calls us to here, within not only Christianity, but within the culture as a whole. Uh, but each of us as Christians are to play a part in this contending for the faith. When we engage it uh, on a personal level, in our own lives. And this would certainly cons- uh, include, for example, taking a biblical stand in a private conversation concerning the uh, hot-button kind of uh, subjects of our, our age. For instance, uh, making a stand as a Christian uh, concerning God's institution of marriage and how He defines it, that it's reserved solely for the uniting of a man and of a woman uh, in marriage, making a stand related to what the Bible says about sexual uh, morality, that the sexual relationship is to be reserved for the marriage bed. It is to be reserved for uh, the commitment uh, of marriage and to make a stand against all heterosexual uh, sexual immorality, all homosexual uh, sexual immorality, the sin of practicing homosexuality, making a stand related to the sanctity of life, making a stand uh, uh, for uh, the unborn and against, uh, against abortion, uh, making a stand concerning the fact that there are only two sexes, male and female. As God put it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, uh, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then as well as making a stand for the foundational doctrines, the essential doctrines uh, of Christianity, including Jesus' virgin birth, his deity, and uh, the Godhead, the necessity of being born again, the salvation on the basis of faith in Jesus alone, the inerrancy of the Scripture, the place of sanctification in, in the Christian life, as well as contending against the two specific things that Jude mentions in this letter, uh, and, and that is to uh, make a stand against those who consider themselves to be Christian and are not, and then are turning God's grace into an excuse for lewdness or denying the necessity of Jesus' lordship in, in the Christian life. And on and on and on we could go related to uh, these, these kind of, of examples. It is important to realize that contending for the faith means more than simply saying to another person, I don't agree with that. That's a wonderful starting point. And I don't want to minimize the importance of, uh, of, of how profoundly powerful that simple statement can, uh, can be in, in the insanity of the world in which we live. And, uh, but what Jude is advocating here is more than that. It, it includes being able to articulate the reason why I disagree with their position. Uh, my own position uh, based upon the Bible, though I may not give them chapter and verse for it. I may just say and paraphrase what the Bible says and they don't even know they're dealing with the Bible, but I'm standing on the Bible 
in, in the conversation and then explaining the reasons for my belief and then uh, being able to articulate to someone why this is the superior view than the one that is being advocated uh, in, in uh, the, the world. And what that requires of us as Christians is having studied these issues in the light of God's Word and then putting these hot-button issues of the culture up against what it is that the Bible says, and then working out in our own hearts and our own minds the superior, superiority of the faith that Judas talking uh, about, and the necessity of, of doing that. And so it requires on our part all the way through human history. We think we're in some kind of a, an odd thing. We are probably within this country where you see um, such a push against uh, uh, anything that stands for moral absolutes within our culture. That certainly is going to include uh, Christianity. But the world has always pushed against Christianity for 2,000 years. It just depends what the issues are in any given generation. So we're not some odd generation. Uh, Jude says every generation has to fight this fight. It, all that, is in, that differentiates in one generation to the other is what the issues will be. Well, we know what the issues are for us as Christians. We know where the culture is pushing against uh, Christianity, and most of all, for its stance related to moral absolutes. And so what's incumbent upon me as a Christian is then to discover what does the Bible say about this, and then to be able to have that become a part of me so that I'm then able to uh, explain that in a conversation with someone else when those subjects come up in conversation. And I'm afraid I might be making this a little too intimidating or complicated here, but it's very simple. I need to know what I believe, I need to know why I believe it, and why what I believe is superior to anything else morally and spiritually. And then to just simply move forward in my life, <clears throat> and then as these kind of conversations uh, uh, come up uh, uh, related to God and related to morality and related to the Bible and, uh, and, uh, and all, then we just simply uh, engage then in that conversation and, uh, and then uh, communicate what the Bible says and the fact that you and I have concluded it to be perfectly reasonable uh, what the Bible says on, on any particular given issue, and then watch what the Holy Spirit does with it. And you, there are very few conversations that uh, go on today, or just any time, where you know everybody's going to have a wow moment and, uh, and uh, have their road to Damascus fall off their high horse and accept Christ in the moment. But when we communicate something like this, then, then, we, then that is in a person's heart, in, in their mind. And now it's up to the Holy Spirit to do something with it uh, in their hearts and minds, again, knowing that it won't return void. And this kind of thing actually can become 
very exciting and enjoyable. Uh, uh, the uh, family barbecues are some of the most exciting things because people are willing to talk about anything, and I am too. And uh, so it's, it's actually uh, fun to, to and not come across as a know-it-all or anything, but to engage. I, I, when I was growing up, I didn't actually watch that many episodes of it, but I do remember enough about Columbo uh, that he's become my model related to all of this. Not really, but I mean, he, uh, he is. But he just would kind of play dumb, and he, uh, and he would just ask questions. Or he would just insert some kind of a thing, but he was this rumpled kind of humble, there's nothing to fear here kind of presence in anything, and yet he was getting exactly where he wanted on it. And, uh, and it's a fun way uh, to do that kind of thing. Now, uh, today, of course, in doing so, we're up against this uh, aforementioned uh, cancel culture. And all of the accusations of intolerance and whatever phobia they want to throw at us in order to kind of intimidate us and silence us and, uh, and put us in the place they've determined for us. But we have to contend, uh, nonetheless. And one thing that is very important to understand about uh, cancel culture and, and every other uh, attempt to censor and silence everyone that doesn't hold uh, their particular view um, is to realize that when a person or when an institution feels that they must artificially protect their views, as cancel culture does, whether they realize it or not, it is an open confession on their part of the weakness of their views. It is an open confession that they believe about their views, that they require special protection for uh, their survival, that these truths can't stand on their own, that they can't withstand scrutiny, that if they were ever exposed uh, to, uh, to that, that they would collapse. And that's the fact of the matter. Wherever you see this censorship, Christianity is not, never interested in censorship. It's never interested in forcing anyone to believe anything. All Christianity wants is a fair place in the public forum to declare what God says in order that God might do with that as He sees uh, fit. And without any fear that somehow what God has said is going to be uh, humiliated in some way in that that public uh, square. And, uh, uh, but that's the confession. When, when you have to artificially protect something, it's an acknowledgement of the weakness of your position. And the more you have to artificially protect uh, your position, it is in, uh, to, to whatever degree you have to do that, is the degree to which it's a confession of the weakness of the position that it cannot withstand uh, scrutiny. And today's cancel culture is weak. And it is worse than weak. It is weak and a bully. And all of their shaming and attempts at bludgeoning people into silence, it testifies to the fact that it is weak and that it is a bully. 
And the more insane their views get, the greater they need to artificially protect them. And there are a lot of insane things being said today uh, within our, our culture. And I welcome that. I, I, you can say any nutty, crazy thing that you want. I, I uh, honor the, the right of, of free speech. Just don't deny me. Just don't deny us as Christians the right to then engage that truth in a fair and an honest way. But of course, like any bully, it does no good to appease them. It just emboldens them as we've seen, and they have to be stood up to, have their views challenged on the basis of truth, on the basis of God's truth, because as the old saying goes, facts are very stubborn things. And you can resist them for a time, but ultimately it has to collapse. And we are in a moral insane asylum right now in the United States of America. And I hate to say it, what we need is a good war on our shores. We need a crisis. We need something to wake the population up to the fact that this world is not a game. This is the games that people play at the end of empires. Uh, this is rotting out uh, from the center out. And, and, and it's absolute uh, insanity uh, what is happening. But as dangerous as it is in the world, it is infinitely more dangerous when it comes into the church. And when it comes into the church in the forms that Jude is talking about here. And so the fact of the matter is, is that we will need to contend earnestly for the faith sooner or later. Because silencing Christianity, silencing uh, Christians has to be the ultimate goal. It's the end game. Anything that teaches a non-negotiable faith, anyone that teaches a non-negotiable uh, negotiable, uh, morality is the ultimate target, and it must go. And as a contractor friend of mine put it, he said, crooked walls hate plumb lines. Crooked walls hate plumb lines. But rather than recognizing that they're crooked walls, the entire thrust of the culture is to remove the plumb line. Well, everything collapses uh, if, if, that is, if that's what a culture is going to do. And unfortunately, as I said, the pressure doesn't come solely from the world, but it also comes very strongly from within professing Christianity, and it must be uh, withstood. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we pray that you would give us the power. We pray that you would give us the grace. We pray that you would give us the wisdom that we need in order to obey this command of your word in our sphere of influence for the kingdom of God in this world, to contend earnestly for the faith. We pray that you would give us a, 
a beauty, a holy beauty, like Jesus possessed and withstanding even the Sadducees and the Pharisees and other uh, people that provoked Him in His public ministry. So give us the right spirit, Lord, but help us now to make the stand that is needed for our hour in human history that the faith might move from our generation to the next generation and to the next generation as uh, others did for us. And we pray and we ask for this work of Your Spirit within our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.